so stupid he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Guaranteed to handle your PR better than the Fine Brothers does, it's a brand new episode of Motorsport 101. Hello everybody, uh, welcome to episode 27 of Motorsport 101, I am your humble host, Mr. Andre Harrison, and with me as always for the next, well probably not actually going to be that long actually more than likely because it's not that much on the bill this time around, but despite that we are stuck unfortunately with Mr. Adam Johnson, hello sir. Oh, oh, I see how it is. A week ago, you were praising me for actually having a producer on the show. I see how things change. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that, that, that's, what, that's how we do things around here. And in the other corner, representing America, as always, we have Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yeah, just give me a second. I'm unsubscribing from the fine bros. <laughs> <laughs> it took us, what, 40 seconds to, to have a fine bros reference in here? Seriously, Topical guys. Joke, everybody. Oh, man. The, the <laughs> fact that now that there is actually live websites showing you the subscriber count for the Fine Brothers plummeting. It's, mm. oh dear. Well, at least the internet's going to have a replacement for seeing as its current whipping boy is retiring, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yep, as you do. Um, <laughs> I, can't even, <laughs> I can't even begin to contemplate that possibility, quite frankly. But hey, enough topical references. Let's let's talk some motorsport, unfortunately, uh, for the next hour or so. And um, we'll, we'll cover the main stuff in a minute, but I just want to also mention some updates for the show itself, obviously. First of all, a massive, massive thank you to everybody who's backed the show on Patreon. Honestly, I'm already astonished at uh, the early, like, immediate support we got as soon as we un unveiled the page, because I'm going to be real with you here, I've, have some, I've had some crowdfunding experience in the past, and it hasn't gone particularly well, kind of, in terms of internet backlash, but this one went down surprisingly well, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, we, we've already hit our first goal, so the SoundCloud, the pure hosting fee to host a show on SoundCloud, which looks gorgeous on the website, by the way. If you haven't already, check out the new Harrison101.com for more of that. But um, we've already got that goal met for the month, so thank you, everybody, for that. And obviously, a, a big thank you to everyone who's actually donated on Patreon themselves, and that's Duncan Cunningham, Evan Manley, Joshua Sutil, Miles Pardo, um, Aidan Paulson, and Andrew Kissinger. Thank you all so much um, for supporting the show on Patreon. You can too at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. There's some pretty cool incentives on there, if, you, if I do say so myself, if you really feel like supporting the show on, on top of what we already do here. So, you know, including early access to the show, um, potential merchandise, postcards, stickers, because who doesn't love stickers and all that kind of good stuff. So check it out. Check the page out on patreon.com slash motorsport101. And of course, a massive thanks everybody for that. Um, the YouTube channel is about to be partnered up with the guys at Race World TV. So massive thanks to those guys for supporting us as well. Such thanks to Marina Nicholas for making that happen. Um, big fan of mine, unfortunately, uh, because somebody's got to be. Uh, so massive thanks to Marina there. And I'm obviously greatly appreciated for that as well. So massive thanks to everybody who supported the show and whatnot. Um, we do really, really appreciate it. Um, right, now let's actually talk some motorsport now. So dominating the show this week will be the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona review, which was one of the best endurance races I think you will ever see in your life. We'll be talking all about that and the various, the various nuances and stories to take away from that as well. It was a very, very action-packed 24 hours, which is something that you would not normally use to describe an endurance race. But hey, the context of it, it's... Uh, is, is even better than what it sounds in reality. We'll also be talking on a side note from that about the concept of balance of performance, uh, something that Johnson brought up a lot on Twitter during the race because he's just that kind of dude. Um, <laughs> so we'll be talking about how he turned into a WEC fan overnight as well as talking about the possibility of uh, performance balance in f Not so much a WEC uh, fan overnight, more like an IMSA fan for about the last, or an American sports car wrestling fan for about the last 10 years. Liar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. In the meantime, we'll be talking about some other major news as well. We'll be talking about Kevin Magnussen 
looking all but confirmed to be at Renault, unveiled later in the week. It's Monday, um, February 1st, as we record this. And within the last hour, Pastor Maldonado has, has revealed a statement saying he's not going to be on the grid for next season, kind of alluding to what we mentioned on the show a fortnight ago, but we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail um, later on in the show. We'll be talking about the 2017 rules coming through. It, it's looking very much like closed cockpits are high on the priority list. Everything else, not so much. We'll talk about that later on. We'll be talking about Pirelli, and they've brought back the cliff, everybody. Is that a good thing? That uh, thing that, well, we'll find out if people want it or not. We'll, we'll see about that. I'm not holding out much hope for that one. Um, and we'll be talking about the European Grand Prix and how it directly clashes now with the final hour of the Le Mans 24 hours and why that may not be as big a deal as you think it is. All that and inevitably much more on this next upcoming episode of Motorsport 101. So, Johnson, I'm going to let you take this next section because this, this is this is your thing to a to a to a T. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, it was my first time I've actually watched it properly. I did, to be fair, I watched a good chunk of it last year, but it was more like background material than anything else. This is the first time I actually pay, played, um, pay proper attention to it. And uh, Johnson, we had a classic, my man. We really did. And to be honest, you chose a good year to lock into the Rolex 24 for the first time because the last couple of years have been plagued a little bit by being transitional years. Of course, um, for those who don't follow sports car racing so much, for a long time in America, or for at least most of the 2000s, you had two distinct series. The American Le Mans series, which featured pretty much, it was basically America's WEC. And then you had the Grand Am series, which was more a slightly more spec series, a cost-effective series. It was run by NASCAR as a sort of arm of their thing. And then at the end of 2013, the two series merged and tried to combine two very different styles of car as in the prototypes used around the world in American Le Mans series and the Daytona prototypes which are much more uh, simple in construction, cost effective basic, it's not too unfair uh, and they had to combine both of them together and both sort of class structures and philosophies about racing and to be honest, 2014 and 15 were not bad seasons but there was definite teething issues, however <clears throat> going into this year there was more focus, obviously, on the, the LMP2s from the old American Le Mans series coming through as more of a threat. Many felt that the Daytona prototypes have been unfairly uh, powered up since the merger. Um, but this year, also in the GT Daytona class, we saw GT3 cars for the first time. And mm -hmm. this year, the roster for the Daytona 24 was probably the strongest it has been in decades. Because, of course, for many years, it was a Grand Am race. Not bad, but of course, it meant that it lacked international interest. You didn't, the Daytona prototypes were cars just seen in Grand Am and that was it. But now, since the merger, it has a real international flavor again. And this year was a real stacked deck. And where do we start for stories? We had Catherine Legg reminding everyone that wow. she is not, uh, she is not someone to be dismissed as just a pretty face. It was an incredible drive. Finally, finally, hopefully proving for good that the Delta Wing is not just a joke that looks slightly phallic. It is actually a legit race car that can hold its own. <laughs> Certainly in her hands. Uh, trust me, I heard that joke on Twitter and I was oh, like, God. really? People still <laughs> making can I, can that I, joke? Come say, on, go on. Can I just say, I love how you dismissed like the Delta Wing as not being, uh, not being a joke and you immediately solved that by making a joke. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> phallic in her hands. No. <laughs> oh, Johnson. Seriously. No, no. You're not helping. You guys are just proving my point, man. I was rising above it. it. I was up. rising you above it. You brought it up, Johnson, not us. Oh, you really? You right into that. <laughs> you may continue. Anyway, anyway, either way, there was no joking around after that first stint, which saw Catherine Legger bringing the thing in in the lead uh, overall, which was an incredible stint. It ended up, unfortunately... The, the the fairy tale story ended brutally when Andy Merrick later on crashed the thing into a stalled car at turn one because, you know, Ugh. a car off the track, full course caution. A car sitting in the middle of a track? Let's give it a minute or two to see if it'll refire. Oh, someone's crashed into it. Yeah, we should probably throw the caution now. Anyway, um, we also had a great run from Michael Shank racing in the, the number 60 Ligier until an engine blow up. Great stints there from Olivier Pla and NASCAR star AJ Allmendinger. Um, but in the end, 
I mean, there was there were stories going on throughout the race, and every class, bar LMP challenge, uh, was kind of in the balance all the way till the end. And we had an absolutely explosive final ten minutes where we had Corvette racing cutting its drivers loose and having a full-on civil war, which ended in a photo finish <laughs> in the GTLM class. Um, yep. Lesson for Citroen in the world touring cars. If you let your drivers race, it's brilliant, but pretty nerve-wracking for the owners. Um, we Is, had a isn't few... that right, King? Go on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for those, those unaware, King is an enormous Corvette racing fan. So, As of course, with the, last, yeah, with, with, with the last half an hour basically being Oliver Gavin versus Antonio Garcia on the final stints, pretty much line astern for the final hour of the race. Like, King was literally shitting the bed at every given opportunity, <laughs> hoping they don't crash into each other. And it was, we had some brilliant, brilliant racing there. Oliver Gavin, like, he was right on the limit of what you would call acceptable defects. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The way he treated the Porsches. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what was amusing, though? Do you know what was amusing about, well, obviously before the Corvettes had that civil war in the final half an hour, Oliver Gavin chased down the Porsche, uh, the Porsche of uh, Earl Bamba, who was fuel saving at this point and ended up coming home a very respectable third and used a little bit of the fenders to get past uh, in the international horseshoe uh, in the infield. He poked him off the road. A little bit, yeah. Was, he poked was... him off the damn road. That's what, that's what it was. He didn't go off the road, though. Well, this is the thing, right? I wanted to address this. Gavel bashing time for a second, because this move, right, it was, yeah, it's a bit harsh, but the backlash that it occurred on Twitter about, oh, of course, a NASCAR sanctioned series would allow that NASCAR owns IMSA, so NASCAR tactics, it's thuggery, blah, I'm sorry, let me take you back to Laguna Seca 2000 and I want to say seven. Or here, oh wait, here comes King. the Adam Johnson history lesson. I'd expect this out of King, quite frankly, not you, Adam. Well, Dre, treat this as me proving to you that my claim earlier about being an American sports car racing fan for the last 10 years holds up. I'm no fair weather fan. Anyway, Fine. Fine. battle for the win in the GT class at Laguna Seca in the American Le Mans series, as in the non-NASCAR affiliated series. Uh, final lap where... A Corvette drop kicked a Porsche off at the final corner. The Porsche then went in the hands of York Bergmeister, then decided, I ain't having any of that. Turned dead left into him on the run to the line and wrecked both cars hard into the pit wall. And no penalties after. It was, <laughs> you're going for the win and the tempers boiled over. So, sorry, I know that was a little bit of a soapbox moment, but I'm fed nice. up of whenever something negative happens in the current IMSA sports car championship, people go, oh, well, of course, NASCAR owns IMSA, so, of course, NASCAR heard the crash. Well, Let me put my soapbox fair, away like, now. Uh, yeah, yeah, get off your soapbox. But to be <laughs> fair, <laughs> to be fair, like, as a MotoGP fan, last lap incidents never get penalised either. So, like, that's, exactly. that's, just been the, the, that's just been the code in MotoGP for as long as i can remember like if there was if there was a last corner argy bargy or some kind of haref kind like son of haref 2005 moment where rossi literally barged into the side of jimenez fairing and and ran him off the road but again rossi was not penalized for it because it was seen as like a desperate last corner lunge they don't penalize that in moto gp so yeah i i, I as much as i still think it was a bit shitty I could see why it wasn't penalised because I support a sport which pretty much acts in exactly the same way when it comes to incidents. Exactly, so, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with what Gavin did, to be fair. like As long as they're consistent with it, I don't see what the problem is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, just to, just a sidetrack from that, but yeah, Gavin and Garcia had a fantastic view. The full final 13 minutes of the race is on YouTube. I highly recommend you go out of your way to find it if you're not going to watch the whole thing for obvious reasons. Um, but without question like the last 15 minutes of very very intense stuff it was, it was the perfect end to what was already a magnificent race especially given there was also drama um further back in the gtp class as well um the with the GT, sorry, gtd class or i should say with both leaders suffering mechanical gremlins in the last 10 minutes of the race Babini on the on the brink of winning the class but um, it was he was he was bearing down on the leader but then his car slowed to a crawl with about three minutes to it was go. a few mileage race Ugh, it, it was, was it was literally it, it was drama it was like that segment out of top gear where it's like you're trying to you, you have a supercar race but everyone's on everyone's on, everyone's on like one gallon of fuel so <laughs> basically you just see people slowly conk out on the side of the road um but yeah it was crazy and obviously you had in the leading class as well you had the runners up the taylor brothers 
And um, who was the other first? Who was the third guy in the guy? Don't remind me again. Max Allegri. Max, Max, Max Allegri. Jerry Rise out the one. Antelady, yeah, that's the one. And their car suffered carbon monoxide poisoning in the last hour of the race, which is just unheard of. I've never heard that before, where a car has got a, literally a leak of carbon monoxide inside of it in the last hour, and he had to be taken to hospital. Luckily, he's now been declared okay, which is very, very good news indeed, because that 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 seemed a bit scary um, mm. um, um, as, as 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 it went on for the uh, for the race. But uh, yeah, it was, it was the Honda prototype team in the end, and. Uh, Durrani, my word. <laughs> Where has this kid come from? monster stints. Oh, my um, word. I mean, honestly, what was funny about it was <clears throat> earlier in the uh, Sunday morning, he got in the car for one of his stints and raced to the front, passed two of the Daytona prototypes, including Christian Fittipaldi, and then sodded off into the lead. And when Fittipaldi got out of his Action Express car, he told the IMSA radio pit reporter, oh, well, of course, balance of performance is off, balance of performance is unfair, that P2 is not balance of performance. And John Hindhoff made the point on commentary of, yeah, but maybe the BOP isn't the issue, because in anyone else's hands, that Ligia Honda is kind of on the pace, it's all right. Maybe it's just Pippo Duran is just a freak of nature. Literally, you put him in the car, the thing's five seconds a lap faster. It was outrageous. Yeah, it's it, it might like yeah. And I, I think the problem with BOP, and I, I'm sure we'll expand upon this in a minute, is that given that it's a multiple driver race, you know, you're never going to get a true complete baseline on how good the car is because everybody drives differently. So you're yeah, never going to get when a you've consistent got reading. Yeah, exactly. You're never going to get a consistent reading of how fast this car is in relation to another one. So I could see where where where, where the commentators were talking about that. I could see the relation there and the problem it may cause. But yeah, the Rani was just outrageous out there. I know we already mentioned Catherine Legg. She won the Spirit of the Race Award, um, voted by the IMSA guys out there for that incredible um, first stint in the, in, in the Delta wing which again as we mentioned that delta wing was a walking joke for a couple of years and you know i still remember watching the last race and seeing the delta wing have its mechanical problems and we were just mocking it on skype and you know i, I have no shame in admitting this I'm, I'm very honest enough to admit that we were just taking the piss out of it to be honest and it, it just it just wasn't competitive there and that delta wing was flying out there during that race yesterday and it was it was a magnificent effort from Catherine leg to remember that car did not qualify it started from 13th on the grid um, in its class and picked its way up to the front of the field over, over the course of that, that that first two and a half, three hours. And again, what happened with that, with, with, with the stalled car and the supremely delayed full course yellow, which was just absolutely ridiculous, mm. was, um, was 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 boneheaded and stupid from IMSA on that one. And it's a shame it was, it was a taint on what was otherwise a pretty magnificent overall 24-hour race if you have not seen highlights of it go out of your way to try and find them i'd highly recommend you do and this is coming from me a first time um 24 hours a daytona watcher and again i have no problem admitting i'm a new fan and you know it's called motorsport 101 not f1 101 so i have no problem expanding my horizons on occasion <laughs> watch how johnson's now going to beg me to watch nascar this year uh, no no i know that's <laughs> a lost cause <laughs> I don't know, i'm I don't considering know. not watching nascar this year why would i ask anyone else not to <laughs> <laughs> caution clocks sod off actually no I can I swear on this show caution clocks fuck off <laughs> anyway as you were he's, he's taking advantage of our explicit tag king I don't, I don't approve of this <laughs> it's like I'm normally the sweary one around here and this is me trying to be a good boy for once and this is what happens king you can't yeah. see me flipping <laughs> off behind the microphone either <laughs> again probably for the best um, but again like I said it was a it was a brilliant brilliant race Go out of your way to see it, especially the Definitely. last 15 minutes. Um, excellent action all across the board. One of the best injury races I've ever seen, f without a question. That's one of the only injury races I've ever seen. <laughs> but uh, <it laughs> I was going to say, that's the best endurance race I've ever seen. How many have you seen? One. <laughs> no, three. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I highly recommend you go out of your way to see it. But um, one of the main side points that Johnson was talking about a lot on Twitter during the show, and the commentary team picked up on it as well, we just mentioned it, was balance of performance and the, the prospect of performance balance. Um, we've, we've kind of half ended this before on previously, King, but would there be viable grounds for performance, well, for performance balance of some kind to be in Formula One one day? Because, uh... because, you know, when sports cars are around and racing like that, 
people are going to draw the obvious comparisons to Formula One and the possibilities of it being implemented across the board or things like that because we know what sports cars fans are like. They're very elitist when it comes to their broadcasting sometimes and their coverage and how great their sport is. So, Well, to be know, honest, is, I is, just is speculated like... the point on Twitter. I just thought about... Because I know there's next to no chance of it actually happening in Formula One. I just thought it would be an interesting topic to, to think of... Could it ever happen? Sure. Should it? Considering that we've just seen a really, really close 24-hour race, and yet a lot of people complain that Formula 1 races aren't close over, what, 90 minutes, 100 minutes? So, mm-hmm. could it be a thing? King? Uh, I'd say it should be a thing. Could it be a thing? Probably not, because the teams, number one, the teams want to use their engineering advantage. Yeah, if, of course. If, if, of course. Because Red Bull, like the big teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, they know they have the best engineers in the world. Absolutely. So, of course, they don't want any restrictions on them to to use their full potential. So it, it, it's, it's partly why Adrian Newey quit. Yeah. So, you know, that's well, one, of the, Newey's one, Newey's one of the greatest technical minds this sport's ever seen. And as so, much you know. as the fans say they want to see the drivers in equal cars, they know that they don't want to see a championship where, you know, their favorite driver could have an advantage, but doesn't because of, you know, balance of performance. Well, the way yeah, I look at it is... Reckon, it's gone. The way I look at it is this. Um, in, for example, in the WEC and in IMSA, they have, uh, obviously, fairly regular balance of performances. And what gets me over there are the amount of manufacturers who go into those series knowing that the performance of their cars is going to be equalized to a certain degree. I mean, in the WEC, it's a lot more hands-off. At the, for the second half of last year, Porsche mm. largely dominated, and they did. They went, you know what? That's fair enough. Porsche earned it. We're okay. not going to go in there and tweak it a bit more. We have WEC actually does it quite well. They have three predetermined points in each season where they will do balance and performance changes. The rest, they leave alone. Whatever happens after that, you've got to live with it. And... If you look at the caliber of manufacturer, both in IMSA and in the world in the WEC, you've got Audi, Porsche, uh, Toyota. Uh, in IMSA, you've got Chevrolet with Corvette racing. Ford have just rejoined. Porsche, Ferrari, Aston Martin back in the WEC. So a lot of these guys are hiring, you know, very professional, all pro driver lineups in a lot of these cases. Um, great engineering minds. I just think it's interesting. And also another example to consider is super gt over in japan which i think is the series that just doesn't get enough love as it should most people know about it from the gran turismo games because the cars are in there but again absolutely and the reason why i bring it up and the reason why i wonder if balance of performance could be a good thing for formula one is that in all of these cases especially super gt where they've had this three-way war between honda toyota and nissan plus an open tire war uh, and you know, obviously everywhere else. Basically, all of these series let manufacturers, big teams, prof- huge notable drivers battle it out. But they sort of say, well, you know, if you're in this series, you're going to have to deal with a bit of balance and performance. And they go into it, and you have this huge battle between all these characters, all these drivers, mechanics, engineers. You know, the likes of Lena Gade at Audi has now she's now become pretty famous in her own right for being a downright legend. The amount of times she's engineered home Le Mans winners over the last five years or so. And my point is, in F1, we've got, you know, Ferrari, Mercedes, you know, we've got the big non-manufactured teams, if you will, like McLaren, Williams, blah, blah, blah. Would it help the series overall if you still had that variation between each team? They could go in there and do different aerodynamic things to have different engineers, drivers. But with the mild balance of performance on top, makes the racing more competitive, makes each Grand Prix more, you know, it's not just going to be the Mercs just running away 1-2 in the first corner and that's it, you may as well switch off now. Do you kind of see what I'm getting at? Do you think a little bit of balance of performance might I go do. a long way in F1? Like, I, I see it from this point in terms of balance of, of performance that you're, you can take more risk when designing your car because you know if yes. you get it too far wrong, you have balance of performance as you know a basement. You know how bad it could get. I mean, there's, there's feel... really, really bad, like Nissan last year, and I'm still mourning that. Yeah, car. that's true. That's true. You can get it too wrong mm. and just fall off the edge of the, you know, the BOP cliff. It's just like, Nissan. we can't help you anymore, man. Like, not even balance of performance yeah. can save you, man. <laughs> you need more people. But, um, yeah, it's, it's I, I look at it like, 
the only problem I really have with it is that, is that is that teams are going to fundamentally change how they prepare themselves. Like if you're a Mercedes right now and they brought in some kind of BOP, they would hate that kind of thing because obviously they are the dominant entity, and you know the, the, the sport would deliberately try to, to to pull them back in a little bit, which obviously compromises their chances of winning. So. I think that's the reason why it would never work because, like, who would agree to that? Like, the, the bottom teams would yeah. obviously agree to that, but the top teams were like, you know, we want to beat these dudes. All at the same time, well, if a, if a team got if a team got too dominant, they'd be reined back in. And what team is going to want to spend 150, 200 million pounds a year on their cars, knowing that if they're too good, the sport will rein them back in? Yeah, well, that's the thing. In WEC, like, they are prepared all, to spend that much to do it. Sorry, they, 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 yeah. the, the big in, uh, as always in F1, is that the teams have a lot of say and anything that could disadvantage any of them, they're not going to go in for that. So that's why we're not probably not ever going to see BOP and F1, but also why any sort of changes are very hard to implement because you've got to get unanimous approval from the teams. And if one of them goes, that's not going to help us veto. It's gone. There you go. So that's it. Yeah, exactly. And again, we all know about the, dem- the, dem- the democratic nature of Formula One and how, you know, all it takes is one team to disagree and uh, nothing ever happens. And that's what probably would happen if the, if the suggestion was ever put forward. It would probably be one of the big teams that, that would completely veto it. Probably Ferrari. <laughs> but uh, it's a situation where, you know, it sounds nice. Because it's an entertainment factor thing. And let's be real here. The fans are more thirsty for entertainment than ever before in Formula One. It's It's, it's, it's a situation now where... I think the ultimate dream for many F1 fans would be a spec series F1 and, you know, a a series that is all about the show and less about technological advancement, which is, you know, that tug of war that's always going on inside Mm. of motorsport and whatnot, especially in Formula One. So, you know, I I see where you're getting at and and I'm not not dismissing it at all because it has worked in many other racing series. Obviously, the British Touring Car Championship is is the big one where that's concerned. And, you know, you always tend to get close close racing in the BCCC anyway. IndyCar to a degree has it. Uh, Obviously, IMSA have have this as well. And yeah, it's a situation where, you know, to a degree, they are manipulating the entertainment factor side of things. But hey, it's effective. So, Mm. you know... If, if it keeps the fans happy, you get great racing and people are tuned in who really cares whether it's, you know, controversial or not. But hey, it's one of those interesting discussions. If you've got an opinion on that, feel free to comment on the SoundCloud. You know, you can, I know it's very clever. You can actually interject the podcast and pause it at a certain point and put a comment in. It's actually quite neat. Um, cool. Yeah, you, you, you could tell I love SoundCloud already. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's, let's move on quickly from here to the news and there's a big one that dropped just about three or four hours ago at the time of recording and that's max chilton has got the number eight car for chip ganassi racing for the entire season um we kind of half into that a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that max chilton's name was in discussions mm-hmm. for that seat but yeah like he is taking the number eight car the car that used to be uh formerly co-owned by sage Caram and sebastian Saavedra. and max chilton will be joining the reigning indycar series champions chip ganassi racing for next year in the number eight car king what do you make of this news oh fantastic news i mean i i love max chilton's quote that he gave to autosport where he says <laughs> it's like going back to formula one but with a really good team <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. I love that the man of support that I love on Twitter, shout out to Sarah and Elizabeth, all mentioned that how great it was to have Max Deb, even though the guy took an enormous shot in the, in the, in the side of the former team that used to employ him. Um, but we'll, we'll quickly dust over that one. But um, <laughs> yeah, like that was a pretty scathing quote, which I think sums up Max Chilton's time at Manor quite well, to be honest, more than mm. anything else. But it's, it's it's great news for the series. Um, I I love the news. I mean, let's be real here. We know Indy has two current Brits there in James Jakes and Jack Hawksworth, but nobody really cares about them over here, unfortunately. And I think most of that's because because they've spent so much time in America before. But we've got a former F1 guy, which again is a rare thing as it is. You don't see that many former F1 drivers make the jump over and you know fully embrace the American circuit. But we've now got a name people know in Max Chilton, a British name that people know. He's done the Le Mans circuit now. He's done. Formula One before, and now he's 
joining IndyCar when with a top team as well with Chip Ganassi on board, who, you know, all over the place in terms of the motorsport. And I mean that in a good way. But Johnson, I think that's great news for the series. It's great news for British motorsport fans. And yeah, I, I, I love this move for, from, from Chip Ganassi. I think it's a great move. I think it's very good for a number of reasons. Number one, it shows that there is uh, life outside of F1 for guys who want to make it into F1 and guys Absolutely. who it hasn't worked out for. And secondly, I think what's most important here, because once again, very much like the Jolie and Palmer announcement at Lotus, suddenly Max Chilton's money and backers came up and pay driver blah let's be to borrow your <laughs> phrase dre let's be real here max chilton thank you has earned has done his time has paid his dues and has earned his right to be there in indycar now i don't want to say this just to sound like i'm plugging i had an interview with him last year uh when it, it was a, a press event for the Nismo brag. p1 brag. a humble brag yeah we'll take that um it was a press event for the Nismo LMP1 program, which, as we know, didn't go very well. But I, I spoke to him at that, and I was really impressed with how he came across. He was very humble. He was very pleasant. He was very uh, very real and very honest about how he felt at the end of the, uh, what well, it would have been the 2014 season, with all the problems that went down with Mauritia, the mm. horrific situation with Jules Bianchi, and how by the end of that year, he had no idea what was going to happen next with his motorsport career. So he explained that, hey, he went to America, but he deliberately went into Indy Lights first. And crucially, he said that's because most people, European drivers coming across, they lack experience, particularly on the ovals. And what I think people need to realize about this move is that Max Chilton last year in Indy Lights was super consistent across the whole season. Okay, he was with Carlin, a very, very strong open wheel team. But not only was he very good on road courses, he was very good to the point that his one win last year on the ovals. He won on an oval last yeah. year, and I think that was really important. Chip Ganassi would not take on a one-trick pony, not when you've already got Scott Dixon, Tony Kanaan, and Charlie Kimball on your roster, and you've got countless other all-stars of world motorsport over in your WEC program, and you've got Carl Larson and Jamie McMurray in your NASCAR Sprint Cup team. Ganassi doesn't do mugs. So he has seen something in Max no. Chilton, and to be honest, I'm delighted for him. I think this is a great move. Yeah, um, I echo all those sentiments exactly. And again, the, the oval experience is a, is a, is a big plus. And, um, you know, there's five ovals on the calendar for next season. It's a huge part of the IndyCar calendar, of course, of course, including the double point Indy 500. Of course, so that's a huge element in the in the title fight and, and what goes on down there. But yeah, I mean, not only Max going into IndyCar, but with, a, with, with arguably the best team in the field. And, and you know, that, Getting to learn of Scott Dixon and Tony Kanaan, it must be really freaking awesome because they are two of the perennial top dogs in IndyCar and have been for over a decade now. So to have those guys in your corner to learn, to, to groom from, and Chip is there, and you know it's a great seat. It's a top-level seat. Um, it's, it's, it's great for the series. It's, it's great for British fans. It's great for everybody. I mean, I see no downside in this movie, but I think that's fantastic. And I wish Max the very best for the upcoming season. It's good. It's, 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 IndyCar is getting better and better with its roster. It like, really it's is. like this series, this series can do no wrong at the moment. It's crazy just how great it is from, from its off season coverage to its personalities. And the grid keeps getting better and better. I mean, we, we were delighted over the Connor Daily news that, you know, that a young guy's getting another chance at Dale Coyne. And, um, now we're getting another one. Max Chilton, who again is young in IndyCar terms, I suppose, um, given it, it's again given the nature of it as a spec series, and given that it's a, it's a sport where experience really is everything. Mm. Um, so Chilton getting his looking early on, I think, is, is fantastic. I think he could be another guy in that kind of Dan Weldon sort of sort of mold, where he's he could be our leading British representative that might yeah. transcend news across the pond. And, and again, I mean that as a disrespect to Dan, obviously, and obviously I don't want to make that kind of big comparison in terms of ability. But at the same time, I, I think, you know, as a potential, you know, news bringer, as a potential star of the series, I think that could be a very, very cool thing indeed. Well, one so, more yeah, thing, wishing Max Shorten the very best. Mm, yep. Absolutely. One Go more on. thing. Uh, I've just had a thought of a similar situation where Chip Ganassi has taken a punt on someone who didn't quite work out in Formula One and it worked out brilliantly. It was in the mid to late 1990s in what was then the kart series. Um, and it was mm. a very talented Italian chap called Alex Zanardi. Again, 
don't want to yeah. compare to such big names, but Chip Ganassi has got a reputation of plucking guys who didn't quite work out in F1 and making them into champs. Just saying. Yep. Very, very, very true indeed. So, yeah, absolutely. Wish you, Max, the very best for next year. Back to F1 and the 2017 rulebook, which is what everybody's kind of wetting themselves over. It's like, can we just get through this season so we can get to the good stuff next year? <laughs> it's, 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 it's like thinking about that that Christmas present you've already been promised like a year in advance. Just got to wait for it to roll around now, like a Sweet 16 birthday party in America or something. But... <laughs> 2017 rule book, um, uh, 2017 rule changes are coming more and more to light, and it seems like the majority of the rules kinks so far are quite vague. But the one thing that's standing out more than anything else right now is the closed cockpit discussion, and you know, a, an emphasis on having a closed cockpit design fully functional and operational by 2017. Yeah, it, it seems like they're heading towards having a closed cockpit, that seems to be the most extreme side where, you know, you see in the prototype Halo design that, you know, Mercedes came up with. And uh, it seems like that seems to be more extreme. And on the more conservative side, uh, there seems to be just pushes for just more cockpit protection. Mm. So what exactly would that cockpit protection involve? I'm not 100% sure on this one myself. Uh, I'm not sure about that either. It's It's very vague. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, I'm like, I'm being honest, it's very vague because they couldn't, like, last week they couldn't come to, you know, a conclusive, yeah, this is what we're going to do for 2017, so it's going to be pushed back to next month in February. That's when mm -hmm. the last chance meeting will be held. You know what the running, last the recurring theme is of F1? That no one can agree on anything. <laughs> yeah. Really? Whatever, give me that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much long and the short of it, really. I mean, sure, we've seen the head of design, and I know Anthony Davidson um, had a conversation with Will Buxton about this on his website, talking about the design, and he said how it wasn't ideal, but it is effective. And, you know, it, this this whole thing was laughed off about around this time last year because, and I quote from Christian Horner, the cars looked ugly. Uh, like, like that's the priority around here all of a sudden. Um, so, you know, it, we've, we've already come a long way from public perception of that. And, and obviously, um, Justin Wilson, I'm sure, has got a lot to do with that, unfortunately. But it's... It's interesting. And we, again, King, we've talked about this on previous episodes of the show before. And we've talked about how the logistical problems of a closed cockpit in Formula One and open wheel single seaters in general. I mean, the FIA are going to do this right, obviously. They're going to test and test and test and, you know, go around the clock on this. But do you conceivably see a design potentially working by this time next year? Next year? No, no. I'm I can't afraid. see it. No, I'm not even going to hesitate. Like, IndyCar was very pragmatic with their solution. They knew what open cockpit design would be able to you know, be able to roll out for this season or next season. So they decided to go the next best route. And they knew that one of the big problems with an op open cockpit is debris entering the cockpit. So they decided, okay, we can't protect the cockpit. So let's try to prevent debris. So they decided to just, you know, all the aero parts to the car. Yeah, yeah I, I get that. I get that. So, yeah, I mean, it's ambitious. I mean, and it, Again, the FIA is not half assed They've been testing designs for this kind of thing for, I think, for over five years now. Um, so this is not a new thing by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, this is not a spur-of-the-moment call-off to see what happened to Justin. It's not like that. They've been doing this for a long time, looking for viable ways to make this happen. And the problem is they're running out of time to make that happen for 2017. And apparently all the drivers now want this. But logistically how are they going to find a way to make it work is a totally different ball game entirely adam and again i just i can't see it happening anytime soon because again i think there's so many different angles and i think i said it before how problem a can often create problem b mm. and he might need a totally different solution c to make it happen and yeah, I'm not confident about this at all. No, I mean, the, the big issue with closed cockpits in F1 is then trapping the driver in the car if they're, if they're in an accident. That's the big issue. And mm. from what I've read, it's it's all about the GPDA are apparently unified on this, which has kind of come out of nowhere. We haven't heard much of this over the winter, and then suddenly yeah. there's a huge push, and everyone's united about it. But Alex Wurtz, who is the head of the, uh, the GPDA, has you know made some very good points about it. But what I've also seen is that 
they've admitted that the ideal solution is jet fighter canopies but they admit that's a long way away so this already feels to me like a stopgap solution and to be honest with you if we know what mm. the end game should be shouldn't we be working on that because i mean this halo design does look quite effective but it also has visual problems it, it reduces visibility Massively. quite drastically um will it be strong enough to resist the impact on something like a flying tire or and you know you look at um, yeah, i mean felipe massa it... being hit with the suspension ring that could probably still fit through the halo system so again it's not perfect and i just get this horrible feeling that people are trying to rush a system in that's not going to work when we know what the ideal solution would be let's work on that come on let's do it properly and even Don't with even with a jet canopy you do have problems like with the driver getting out. We just exactly. saw this this past weekend in the Rolex 24 where Max Angelelli couldn't physically get out of the car himself. Yeah, you have to be hauled out of the car. No, that's a very good point. And that's a car with a door. You have to be hauled out of the car. And I know King mentioned as well on, on, I think it was episode 23, we talked about this. We talked about how temperature is important because, I yes. mean, these cars already get hot enough and these guys are already physically drained after an hour and a half race. Imagine then telling them to race in a greenhouse. That's Especially at Singapore, what you're like making that. them do. If you, if you, yeah, yeah. Like for example, like it could easily be. I mean, the canopy sounds great, but the problem is, is that you'd have to completely redesign the cars to mm. have a cooling system in inside them, so that drivers don't overheat and pass out and whatnot. On that, obviously, it's a totally different ball game entirely. So again, the ideal solution probably would be a jet canopy of some kind, but again. And it comes with its own set of problems, which, again, we'd have to find a way to navigate around that. But I completely agree with Adam in this case. If, if, you, if you know what the end game is, work on the end game. Don't work on a stopgap for what was a couple of freak accidents. I mean, let's, let's take them for what they were. But that, that, that was freak accidents. Not, like, this is not a regular occurrence. Particularly the in Bianchi In single-seat racing. Especially the Bianchi one, which, unfortunately, as people don't want to admit, was kind of self-inflicted. Um, so... You know, of course, there's an exposed head when you in single seats. That's, that's that's not a new thing. It's been around for decades. So, you know, let's take our time and make sure we get it right, as opposed to trying to grandfather in this stopgap to try and please the drivers. Which, again, when when it comes to the long and the short of it, might not actually be the problem in the end anyway. Mm. Moving on to more F1 related stuff, Pirelli. The, as I'd call it, F1's finest scapegoat. Um, <laughs> and they brought in another fundamental change, or in this case, the return of a fundamental change for their cars. And that is they are bringing back the performance peak for their tyres, which is affectionately known in F1 as the cliff. The cliff is back, everybody. Um, oh, King, good, bad, or indifferent, the, the return of the cliff in Formula 1 from, from a tyre standpoint for next season. Um. I love it. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be the only person on this side of the fence. Uh, no, keep talking. Yeah, you, you, you convince me on this because I, I, I'm, I'm on the Sell fence. Sell it to Dre. Quite, frankly. Sell it to Dre that, you know, the unpredictability of the 2012 season is enough to sell it already, though it's going to be a different design than the 2012 tire where it's going to be a soft rubber compound then once you wear it out the inner compound is just you know a harder compound so it just it, it'll last but it'll have less grip than you know when you first then then you know the outer compound right okay so it's not going to be as drastic as what it was in 2012 yeah always okay it, so it, it won't on paper... explode <laughs> oh good <laughs> that's what we want to hear like, is that your plus point king that's yeah <laughs> That, that's King's plus point. The tire will definitely not explode. <laughs> Dude, I'm still getting over Belgium from last season. Do not get me started on this. <laughs> I'm a man raw. on the edge, King. It's still raw. Um, but um, I'm on the fence on this. Like, I know a lot of people were, were tapping back to 2012 and how unpredictable the season was. I say the season wasn't unpredictable because of those was it a cliff in the tires mm. it was unpredictable for other reasons than that but i never had a particular problem with it either in that regard so i'm just kind of like shrugging my shoulders thinking let's see it in context before we all complain about it or or endorse it because we haven't seen how it's actually going to work second time round. and on top of that Again, going back to 2012, like that was a good thing. Like, 2012 was a good season because of the stories it told, not because of the on-track action itself, for, for me, more than anything else. So, for me, 
I'm on the fence on this one. I'm not I'm not convinced it's going to be a solution or it's going to make things any better. But if it's what Pirelli feel is comfortable, then I'm going to go with it because Pirelli, again, are the scapegoats. And we'll, if, this, if this doesn't work, they will get the blame for it because that's what Pirelli do. <laughs> um, they, they just take the rap for everything. Yeah, so Adam, you got any this? thoughts on this? I have, yes. Um, yeah, go for it. I mean, here's, here's the thing. What may make this change an absolute worldy is that the F1 cars themselves are very different to what they were last time we had this. Last time we had this, we That's were true. in very much more of an aero era. It was the V8 era where everyone had similar horsepower, and it was all about downforce, which was putting a lot of load on the tyres and wearing them out quickly. Now, be impressed with me, because, no, actually, I kind of made some NASCAR references earlier. Oops. Anyway, over in NASCAR at the moment, the big discussion over there has been about taking away downforce from their cars and... Because their cars have generally had a lot of downforce lately, they've had to make the tyres harder to last the traditional longer races than they have than Formula 1. And what people are hoping is that if downforce is going to be reduced, the tyres are going to be made softer, so they actually wear out quicker and actually add a bit of a variety to it. For example, if you have a late race caution, do you stay out and keep the track position or do you come in and get tires knowing that you are guaranteed to be about two or three seconds per lap quicker if you do? And bringing it back to F1, I mean, the downforce levels kind of haven't changed, although they might do in 2017 because, yay, the last thing F1 needs is more dirty air. Thumbs up. Anyway, um, but the, my point is the F1 cars of now are much more talky. They're very powerful engines, which are very hard to manage. We've seen them slipping and sliding around, squirreling out of corners, oh. wheel spinning, locking the brakes, which is good. It's been good to see uh, a little bit more, you know, anyone who still likes to think that F1 cars are easy to drive. I mean, why you'd think that at this point, I have absolutely no idea. Um, but I have a feeling that if you bring back tyres with quite a sharp, because let's get one thing out of the way. Formula One races have never been 100% flat out from first flag to last. I don't know where this myth came from. No. It's not true. We love IndyCar. That's not true either. But you know what? You know what is thrilling when you see a driver manage a strategy really well and then cut loose. Example, Graham Rahal, 2015, Barber. Absolutely incredible. When he went for his final stint, bolted on the, uh, the sticker red tyres, as in IndyCar's option tyres, Seeing him fly through the field, passing Helio Castroneves around the outside at a hairpin, nipping Scott Dixon through the through the S's, it was incredible. So, you're not going to get this whole thing of, oh, it's just going to cause more tyre conservation. That's always been a part of Formula 1. Uh, in fact, the period where there was least tyre conservation is when they had rock-hard tyres during the refuelling era. So, what do you want? But... What I hope comes of this, this is me being optimistic because it's very easy to be cynical with most things that F1 do these days, sometimes with good reason. Oh, true. But if I'm being optimistic about this, I hope that this uh, quicker degrading or having the sharp fall off in lap times of a tyre means that we will get slightly more strategic elements and an element of conserving your tyres and there being moments where you can cut loose in a race. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see um as i say that's me being optimistic uh me being pessimistic means that it will literally make all races a tiptoeing fest because the tires can't last five it'll be basically like the brickyard 400 2008 or the the brickyard grand prix 2005 for formula one all over again but hey this could be a worldie but i we'll see we shall that we shall indeed see what happens with that um We'll, we'll take a quick side note to uh, attack a couple of questions that a couple of fans asked to show. Uh, Miles asking on Twitter, why does F1 seem so apprehensive to reintroducing ground effect aero? It's not even on the agenda for 2017 changes. King? Uh, I'd say the teams are, you know, a bit hesitant about it because it could allow, you know, people like Adrian Newey to basically make their cars into rocket ships and maybe... <laughs> The people who lead F1 teams now were, you know, either starting in teams or basically young fans during the first, you know, ground effects period of F1 were pretty much it got to the point where the cars were recklessly fast and every and I think I forgot how many drivers died. I think three or four died. Yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, that was the that was the answer I was going to come out with on that one. Yeah, like it's not been around for thirty plus years or so because it killed people. There's no other way of describing it. It was it was too fast for what it was at the time. Now in 2017, I think you could probably control it a bit better. In fact, mm. I'm pretty sure you could control it a lot better. But of course, then it becomes a matter of legislation, and then it becomes a matter of who's going to take advantage of that. And again, we could see another big unbalanced performance-based mess in Formula One again, which is risky because I don't think anyone wants to wants to play that game. Is it's risky? You got you're kind of betting against yourself in that regard as well. Mm. So that's probably the biggest reason why. Um, also, one quick one for Marcus as well, who predicts us predictions for who fills the remaining IndyCar seats and who wins the 100th Indy 500. Now, King, how many opportunities have we got left in IndyCar? I don't think there's that many left now. I think. Ooh, I have to go. I have to check because I had it in my in my uh, Max Chilton notes. Um, um, trying to think off the top of my head here because that, that's another one gone. So I'm thinking, is there who's like who's conf- who's confirmed and who isn't? That's the I think that's what you got to know here. Okay, because I know. Go on, go on, King. Uh, Ganassi and Penske are full. Andretti has three yep. drivers, but I think they're only running three cars. Okay, so, so obviously that's gonna, that's, that's going to be Hunter Ray, Munoz, and Marco Andretti. Obviously, yeah. Right? Yep. So yep, cool. besides that, I don't think there are any open seats left. Full yep, time. I anyway. think that's it. I think that was the last big one available. Full, yeah, full time at least. Obviously, the five hundred is a different ball game as it is. Anyone want to nail their flag to the mast for an early Indy 500 prediction? <laughs> you got to be kidding it, it me. I don't. It's not even May yet. Yeah, I'll save that one till May, Marcus. Forgive me on that one. But uh, yeah, thanks for the questions, man. Appreciate that. Always, you can always send them into on send them on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 or on Twitter. You can at any three of us on Twitter. We'll put links to that in the description of the podcast as well. More news, and that's again another F one related but more tying into the wec as well and that is it looks like the european grand prix the new european grand prix in azerbaijan uh is going to now clash with le mans uh, the final hour of le mans so to speak and the question of is it a risky move to make the the new grand prix on the calendar for formula one compete with what is one of the most recognizable uh races in the world in le mans and the big finish of le mans King, I don't buy the, the severity of this one, given the context of Le Mans as a 24-hour race, but what do you make of it? Like, uh, to me, like, that's the most viewed segment of the 24 hours of Le Mans is the finish. The last hour always has the peak number of viewers you'll ever see for Le Mans, but it's not so high that would that I don't think F1 would kill it. I, I think there would be, like, no change whatsoever, because right now... Le Mans in British TV figures, it's you know four hundred twenty-eight thousand viewers for the last hour, and what F one averages over a million. Yeah, it, it's it's not really a contest. Like, like that's, that's that's what that's what people fail to realize is that uh, there are you casual guys are making the viewers f- making the fatal error. They're making the fatal error. The TV figures are not the big deal with Le Mans. It's radio, and in that case, they are up anywhere near as much as any F1 Grand Prix. Five million plus for large segments of the race, let alone the final hour. Just wanted to clarify you guys. But but that is yeah. worldwide, right? Not just Britain. That is worldwide, yeah. But we're also talking an F1. Uh, and if we're talking Radio Le Mans doing the Le Mans 24 hours, a lot of their user base is in Britain. And a lot of them are actually over in America as well. Yeah, that's also a good point. Like, Le Mans goes more for the radio angle than anything else and more, like, occasional viewing as opposed to expecting viewers to sit down for 24 hours, which is just a completely unrealistic expectation. But people do. Uh, more than anything else. But people do it. I'm not, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying people don't do it. Stop arguing with me on this, on this one, Johnson. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm, not denying that, I'm not denying that people won't do it because, of course, they will. There's so many sports car nuts out there and prototype endurance racing nuts that they will do it. But... But that's not the problem. The problem is, is that you know how are you going to spread those viewers out over a twenty-four hour window? Is 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 an important thing, obviously, with the first hour and the last hour being the most likely to be the most watched. So, yeah, I don't think this is as big a deal as people like to make out. Again, the F1 nuts will watch F1 regardless. The people that want to watch sports car racing will watch Le Mans regardless. Mm. I, I don't see how it's, how it's going to be a big deal. There's not going to be an enormous clash. 
F1 still has a 400 plus million global audience on TV, so pff, it's not really a contest. But well, hey, people like reason... to be mad on the internet. No, no, no. The reason why I make oh, this uh, oh. comparison, the reason why I said it was a risk, was not necessarily in terms of TV ratings. The way I'm looking at it is this The Le Mans 24 Hours is the single biggest, if I um, got my attendance figures correct, is the single biggest most sport race in the world in terms of attendance last two years it's hit 250,000 attendance each year so it's a huge event it is arguably one of the crown jewels of motorsport it's up there with the monaco grand prix it's up there with the indy 500 the daytona 500 etc my question to you as to whether this is a risk is f1 has put himself and let's let's be clear here F1 know what they're doing because they're effectively shooting themselves oh, yeah. in the foot by putting this Grand Prix on the same weekend as Le Mans because it's a week after Canada. You think that makes any logical sense, logistical sense? So it's obvious it, what they're doing it, here. It, it doesn't. My question to you it, as to whether this is a risk is this is a new event, brand new circuit, which we're getting previews of and it doesn't look like the best venue for passing. So it looks like this race is going to have to be a, a Monaco 2.0 if that's a good thing or not i'll leave that up to your opinion but by that i mean relying a lot on spectacle the old architecture and just being a technical challenge for the drivers is it a risk to put a Mm -hmm. new marquee grand prix on the same weekend as one of the biggest and most prestigious motorsport events in the world is that a bit of a gamble and making Uh, them directly clash in terms of times i'd say it's a risk, but it's a risk that they're willing to take because personally, it doesn't seem like they care about this race that much. No, they're only I mean, doing it's obvious. It because, yeah, because someone's paying for it and it's, you know, the government of Azerbaijan is paying for it. When it comes to the circuit, I wouldn't compare it to Monaco. I'd say it's more similar to Macau where like the main streets like this. Yes. Ma- the yeah. main streets like this massive eight lane boulevard. Then you have obviously the castle section that everyone is, you know, retweeting pictures of saying that there will be any overtaking. Yeah, of course, forgetting the rest of the circuit. But um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, I think people like to like to draw on the little things and then blow them up to massive proportions and whatnot when it comes to that. I mean, yeah, you're right. The FIDA probably doesn't really give a shit about this one. But there's very, very few instances where making fans choose is ever a good idea. Mm. But it's a 24-hour race. So, you know, it's if you want your fill, you've got plenty of time to get it in that window it's I, I don't i just don't see it too. like i don't yeah but this I is the finish the about, about this one you said it yourself that's the hour that most people will want to lock into because that's where the race is going to be decided well and bearing in mind that up to a well, few tr- uh, under a week ago the f1 was scheduled to start at the same time the 24 hours finished so people could literally see the end of the race flick over and the grand prix would start now it's clashing directly with that i'm an hour. f1 masochist johnson i, I know problem, i know okay? that's why i'm enjoying poking you on this Shut up, okay? It's like it's like drinking absinthe in the middle in the middle of a podcast, okay? I am an F one masochist. I am not going to deviate. That's just how I look at it. So, yeah, I admit I've got a problem with that. Good <laughs> stuff. I need to go to F one F one number on this one. Uh, maybe just go to Reddit and, and announce a uh, intervention, so to speak, on my Formula One viewing habits. But um, yeah, again, I, I just don't see it. Like I, I really don't see the big deal in this one. But hey, maybe I'll be wrong on this one in the end. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting one. But um, again, maybe I don't see it. Maybe nearer the time we'll end up getting a uh, a more clear review on this nearer the time. But uh, yeah, one last big bit of news before we wrap up the show for this time around, and it's kind of a follow up to what we were talking about earlier in actually our last podcast, episode twenty six, the reboot Awakens, where we talked about the possibility of the growing possibility of Kevin Magnussen replacing Pastor Maldonado at Renault due to Pastor's sponsors, PDVSA, um, in their own financial crisis of their own and the possibility of that happening. Turns out we were right. Uh, it turns out Kevin Magnussen is all set to be unveiled as Renault's second driver uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so by the time you're listening to this, it's probably already happened. <laughs> Um, but as, at the time of recording, it's looking like it's going to be Magnussen with Pastel has already tweeted his uh, declaration that he is no longer going to be on the grid for next season. He's taken a sabbatical from racing. So, uh, King, the internet got their wish on this one. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's basically all but confirmed, as you say, on Wednesday, Renault is going to launch their car in Paris with Kevin Magnussen, Joel and Palmer, there, the racing driver, and also their team principal. Uh, I think, yeah, the team principal's AR team is ART's current team principal, Frederick Vasseur. So they, it seems like they have a fairly strong lineup when it comes to that part. And it, it, it seemed inevitable that, you know, PDVSA wasn't going to come to an agreement with Renault. So Pastor wasn't going to be able to stay. Yeah. That, that's how, that's how it came across closer to the time of recording this episode that uh, it looked like more and more likely as, as was going to happen. And Autosport pretty much put it out today that, yeah, it's, it's all but done now. Magnuson is there. He's going to be alongside Joe Liam Palmer next year. Pastor is done. And if there's one hilarious thing I want to draw from all this, it's that the U-turns on Pastor <laughs> in the space of a, of a couple of days have been visible from space. It's, it's right next to the Great Wall of China. It's just hilarious that beep, beep, you know, Pastor, beep. who was the internet's punching bag and whipping boy for four years, <laughs> at least four years of his F1 career, and now all of a sudden he's gone. It's like, oh no, we're gonna miss him. We're gonna oh, miss his antics. He might actually not have been that bad. Like, <laughs> it was that bad. It, look, it, it was that bad on my timeline. Like, I follow some idiots half the time anyway, unfortunately. So it's, it's, it's one of those inevitable situations. But, you know, they retweet other people who say the similar things. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know. Also, Sport put out a column about an hour before we started recording this podcast that basically, was Pastor ever that bad or was he set for a big rise in 2016 see <laughs> see this is how it's gone now there's no middle ground on pastor i mentioned this last episode and i mentioned it again there is no middle ground on pastor maldonado it's either people thought he was a joke and he was terrible or people thought he was actually pretty good there's no middle ground on him there really isn't uh, yeah it, it, it infuriates me that there's there's like no middle ground on pastor maldonado's perception as a driver like some people will think he's genuinely great other people want to take the piss and, and make shitty websites about him, Gillen. But, um, you know, it's it's a situation where he's now become this great big entity of Formula One as, this, as the crashing guy. He's the mm. internet's punching bag. So, I mean, Adam, how do you want to look at it, mate? Because I, I just look at it like, why is everybody U-turning so quick? Well, I'd just like to say it's quite nice that now the greatest driver not in F1 is now back in F1 again. So lovely. The internet got its wish. Um, <laughs> but uh, on on the Maldonado point, um, I think, number one, the internet it might be in a bit of trouble here because its favourite whipping boy, Pastor Maldonado, is going away. Romain Grosjean's got very good the last few years. And uh, the man who was all set to be the new Pastor Maldonado, Mr. Lance Stroll, was actually really good in the Rolex 24 when he drove for Chip Ganassi. So, um, uh, who's next? Uh, basically, at this point, Twitter will be fascinating to watch during the Australian Grand Prix. But, uh, I think a lot of eyes are going to be on Jolien Palmer. If he trips up once, he is going to be the new Maldonado, the new joke of the internet. But wouldn't it be funny if it was Kevin Magnussen? I really don't want to oh, wish God. bad on anyone but wouldn't it be hilarious if Kevin Magnussen had a shocker in Australia? Just from the point of I, I put, the internet would melt down. I put it on Twitter. I, I said it on Twitter. I'll say it here. Marcus Ericsson, you're up. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Don't, don't lose it in a straight line again, please. <laughs> I feel sorry for Katie like, McConaughey. Like, yeah. <laughs> Katie, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I know he, he's actually got some fans, but... Like, let's be real. If you had to look through the list and pick out one dude, the guy that lost it in a straight line would probably get picked nine times out of ten. Don't come after me. I know you've got a boyfriend now. Please, like, <laughs> forgive me. But like I said, I said Marcus Ericsson's the next man up. He's got to host he's the next be episode next of Motorsport One Hundred and One because Dre's been beaten up. Send your applications to. <laughs> they haven't got my address yet. Yet, um, but uh, yeah, like for me again, the U-turn is pretty hilarious to me, yeah, in my opinion, really on this one. That you know, people have all people have all of a sudden got an, got an affection for for Pastor. It's a shame because he Holy always came across like a good guy. Yeah, he came across like a good guy, and he did genuinely improve from what he from where he was at. He he has got a race win to his name. Yep. His career wasn't a waste of time, and he did he he spent five years doing what he loved doing, and that is. 
what he should probably take away from all that more than anything else. And, you know, the, the criticism of his career, I think, has been over-exaggerated to a large degree because the internet likes having a punching bag. They like having their retweets and their likes lined up on deck for making easy jokes. So I can... I- and memes of course so you know it's it's how places like grand prix diary and, and you know racing fumi get their names off the back of seeing past or fail so you know it's 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 a, it's a key part of how f1 twitter looks at these things so it's unfortunate. I wish Pastor the best in whatever he decides to do next. I hope, I hope it's not the end of the line of his entire career. I think he'd be amazing in Formula E, for example. I think he's the kind of that'd be a real nice boost to that kind of series. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what he ends up doing next. And I think I think he could be great in, in another in another mold somewhere. So, yeah, that pretty much is the low and the short of it for this episode of the podcast. I told you we didn't have very much to talk about this time around. <laughs> hence, why we, hence why we're fortnightly as opposed to weekly for the next at least, I'd say, two episodes. Um, again, not much to really take away from that, but uh, again, you can follow us all on Twitter. I'm at Harrison101HD, Adam's at AJ underscore Bomber Sports, and Ryan is at Ryan Eric King. that's with a K. Um, got anything else in the pipeline coming, Ryan? Uh, not in the foreseeable future right now. Yeah, not, not for now. Bless him, he's committing all of his, all of his time to Motorsport 101 <laughs> on YouTube, which you can check out as well at youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, where we upload podcast highlights. He's the guy that edits all of them. It's not me, it's him. <laughs> he does a brilliant <laughs> job as well. Yeah, yeah, give him your compliments, not me. Like I, I, I'm very blessed that you feel like we, we, we're that great, but it's not us, it's him. It's purely on him. Um, I'll be adding to that pot with more video content very, very soon, probably later this week, more unlikely. So stay tuned for that. Adam, you got anything else, Jew? I heard you got your um, Bomber Sports Plays channel up, up and coming again. Yeah, well, we got somewhat of a Team Bomber Sports relaunch uh, coming next Wednesday. Um, mm. We'll relaunch uh, more stop-motion racing content than ever before. Uh, the Bomber Sports Plays is kicking off again. We're going to be playing all sorts of games over there. And I'm having a brand new website designed by mm-hmm. someone you know very well, Dre, because you recommended her to me. Stephanie at Silvercode. Seriously. Brilliant. Yep. The new website is yep. going to be fantastic. She's already done a great job on Harrison101.com. So next Wednesday, February absolutely. 10th. Yeah, absolutely. If everybody check them out, they're, they're, they're bloody brilliant. Like, again, Steph is, a, is an absolute godsend and an angel. Um, but yeah, check out teambombersports.com for that, I believe. Was it, was it 15th, we yep. said, you said, Adam? February 10th. So next, yeah, so just off February 10th. So next week after you watch this, check that out. So that'll be next uh, Wednesday. So check check that out then. Um, so yeah, that's about it from all of us. Keep supporting the show on YouTube and on Twitter and whatnot. And uh, yeah, we will catch you guys next time. From me, Adam and Ryan, I've been Andre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. See ya. Like I'm not you are the world champion!